All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. I am Mike Golick Jr. You didn't get that already. He is Brandon Newman with me as always. What's up, Brandon? Oh, everything is up. Everything is great. It's up. Everything is long. Up. Everything's late. Is that an actual saying, or did you just rip that off the top? I I don't I don't want to claim that I ripped it off the top because it wasn't good enough for it. So I heard it somewhere. All right, there we go. That's probably a new song I haven't heard yet. We'll try and check that one out along the way. Uh, got a lot to check out today. Uh, very excited. We're gonna get to talk to Nicole Arbach in a little bit. College football senior writer over at The Athletic does as good a job as anyone covering all the change. And I don't know if you guys have seen in the news, there has been a lot going on around the world of college sports between all the NIL stuff, these meetings that conferences are having right now, the NCAA and the athletic directors trying to get them to do something. So Nicole's going to set the table for all of this. And I think it's a really interesting conversation coming off of something that we heard from Deion Sanders yesterday the head coach of Jackson State, the obvious NFL Hall of Famer. So we'll get to what Dion had to say in a little bit. And Nicole will, I think, have an explanation that will make Dion very happy based on what we've heard there. But Brandon, good God almighty, we saw some shit last night in the association. I, like, I don't even know where you want to start <laughs> in this because 
We had the Milwaukee Bucks get a win over the Boston Celtics, and it was a comeback win for the ages here. How comeback for the ages, you ask, Brandon? Well, I'm glad you did. I saw this courtesy of Justin Russo uh, on Twitter here. He's a credentialed reporter type person who covers the Clippers by his bio. I don't know anything else about him. Oh, that's that's legit. That's yes. legit right there. You can take his words to the bank. It's like citing Wikipedia. So he tweeted, the Boston Celtics were 141-1 and all time in the postseason when holding a nine-point lead entering the fourth quarter at home. Their lone postseason home loss prior to tonight occurred in the bubble. Tonight was the first time it happened in Boston. The Bucks entered the fourth quarter down 86-77 to and managed to come back and win this game. Brandon largely thanked to Drew Holiday going out there and putting... I mean, it was a one-man vendetta of Drew Holiday against the reigning defensive player of the year in Marcus Smart. He made his life a living hell with a basically full-palmed block on one end and then the wherewithal to throw the ball off of Marcus Smart in order to give the ball back to Milwaukee and then in the waning seconds of the game made a steal at half court that iced that thing and sealed the deal and it was we talked about how much they missed Chris Middleton you were the one that brought up as we were talking about it how important Drew Holiday was to that championship run for the Bucks, and he looked every bit like that dude when they got to the fourth quarter I mean he was that dude I don't know if you can in a game take away someone's individual award by doing it better than them but usually when you see a defensive player of the year Rudy Gobert ugh they looked like they're trying. They look like they're playing defense. Like, that's what, oh, yeah, let's give them the defense player of the year. They obviously only care about playing defense very, very well. My, Drew Holiday made that shit look easy. Drew Holiday made, look, made playing defense look so easy against the, the reigning defensive player of the year. So much so I was like, oh, yes, I forgot. These are regular season awards. Now we're in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, now we're in the playoffs where we often look really silly for how we handed out this regular season hardware. But right. and like, and to your point about not it just being a defensive performance, for Drew Holiday, 24 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 blocks in this game. And I think as important as anything, Brandon, because one of the big areas of disparity for Milwaukee had been just a lack of consistent 3-point shooting throughout this series. You heard it on the broadcast, but our guy Pat Connaughton has really been one of the few guys hitting consistently from beyond the arc. And he went 3 of 5 tonight, but Drew Holiday, 4 of 7 from 3 in a way that this team desperately needed, especially down the stretch of this game. And then the the Celtics were struggling a little bit. Like they, it seemed like both teams. It was just so cool to see a game that was like predicated on defense and turnovers and not a wealth of great perimeter shooting. It no. just felt like old school basketball all over again, and it was a great game. That putback by Dr. Al Horford. Yo, it was just like people were playing out of their minds. It was such a such a. I guess Jalen Brown was uh, shooting as well as anyone else was uh, out there, and Jason Tatum is just like refused to be denied. But even like Grayson Allen, it just it look they look like two of the best basketball teams. Period. Left. It was you're right. Super Saiyan Al Horford and what he's done this series. It, it's. It is firing on all cylinders right now. And thank God we got the entertainment we needed from that game because Brandon, the late game, was a full-blown certified great A, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, ass-whooping by the Grizzlies <laughs> against the Golden it, State Warriors. 
But because it was the Golden State Warriors, didn't you think that, like, okay, I just need to keep watching? Like, oh, eventually always. they're going to turn on the faucet, the Splash Brothers, and it's going to get wet in here, and Memphis Grizzlies are going to lose and be sent home tonight? That did not happen. You're always worried about that because you're right. The third quarter Warriors phenomenon has been something that's been true since 2016. But, man, this felt like the BFS game. It was bigger, faster, stronger. No John Morant again for the Grizzlies walking into their home crowd. And it just didn't matter the entire night between Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson Jr. just bullying Golden State on the inside. The amount of second chance points in this game... The Grizzlies had a 52-point lead through three quarters. That was tied for the <laughs> largest lead in NBA playoff history. Previously, it was the 1970 Bucks leading the 76ers. And as Haley O'Shaughnessy points out of the Spinsters Basketball Podcast, the last time this happened, the Hawks and the Bulls were in the West Division and the Rockets were still in San Diego. And it's happening now to the Warriors, the Golden State Warriors. Wow! Well, wow! And Brandon on the we, backs of on the backs of Bobby Portis and a bunch of other people that came off the bench. Well, and this is the thing: like we talked about last game in Game Four, the Warriors being largely disinterested, going about their business in the first half, pretty lackadaisically. I didn't think it started that way for Golden State, but it was almost what they've done to other teams. The Grizzlies just broke their will, whereas normally for Golden State, it's from beyond the arc through the Memphis. It was just sheer physicality for most of that night. The Warriors did not have an answer for that on any part of this. Yeah, but it just didn't. The score didn't. It, it didn't. I don't feel like the score reflected the game. And I didn't really feel like the Warriors were getting that washed at, at, at every turn the way the score would suggest. Is that fair to say? Um, well, I I did I didn't think it felt like that for most of the first half until really the end. But again, it was Golden State usually hits you in waves, and this time it was Memphis. Just again, it was. This is a team that I think has become so lovable. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, the Memphis Grizzlies are feel like the darling of the NBA. If you don't have a rooting interest in a series, you're probably rooting for the Memphis Grizzlies from here on out in perpetuity. If you're one of those people that's just a fan of players the way a lot of young NBA fans are now, I don't know how you're not buying the Memphis Grizzlies. Like, if John Morant were to be able to come back for Game 6, we're all of a sudden talking about something. Like, this is... And and it kind of leads me to the question I want to ask, Brandon, because heading into um, tomorrow night and Friday... We've got an interesting situation. So we've got all game sixes coming up here in the NBA starting tomorrow. Miami has a chance to close out the 76ers in Philadelphia. Phoenix has a chance to close out the Mavericks. And then on Friday, Boston's going to have a chance, or excuse me, Milwaukee's going to have a chance to close out Boston. And Golden State is going to still have another chance. They were up 3-1 going into tonight to close out Memphis. Brandon, do you think any of these series get to a game seven? Oh, absolutely. I, I I think Boston pushes for for a game seven. Um, I think Memphis has the potential to push for a game seven. I, I think that the Heat, the Heat's, it, it's a wrap. Suns, it's a wrap. Luka could push for the game seven, but it's one of those you're not really interested because you know how that that game's going to going to play out. It's kind of like with the with the uh, Warriors and Grizzlies. Like whatever we see, 
we know the Warriors are going to be the ones moving on. I don't think that's the same situation for the Bucks and the Celtics. I, I think the Celtics were the better team going into this season or going into the playoffs. But the Bucks look like when they decide that they want to win, Giannis is going to put up 40 and, and, and get at least 10 rebounds. And Drew Holiday's going to do his thing, and the Bucks can win. Like the Bucks aren't acting like they won the championship last year. They're they're playing like the reigning champs. That is so true. By the way, that we just went right to Drew Holiday. Giannis did have forty points in this outing, and if they're like, I can't even call it a quiet forty points. It was a pretty efficient forty points. I know yeah. ev- everyone, especially like Stan Van Gundy, has been beside himself calling this series, watching Giannis chuck up threes. He was abysmal heading into tonight, and then he goes two of five tonight and gets to now sleep soundly, feeling like he's justified his existence beyond the arc. But those were big threes down the stretch of that game for that Bucks team. So uh, looking at this, Brandon, I am with you. I think Miami closes this one out. I think they find a way to get this done. I just don't think you're getting consistent enough James Harden and all this. And Joel Embiid just seems like he is even beaten down physically to the point where it is too much for a guy that seems to always be able to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. I think Phoenix closes this thing out also. I think that team has got their foot down on the gas. I think Milwaukee does the same. I am rooting. I think Memphis could be the only team to force a game seven in the postseason at this round. And maybe part of this just is me wanting to see the potential because you saw this kind of bubbling up before this game. Steph Curry, as he is wont to do, like, lest we not forget, the Golden State Warriors are assholes. And I mean that in the best way possible, but oh, they yeah. are. Like, we learned that during the 72 and uh, the 73 and 9 or 72 and 10 season when everyone started to realize, oh, wait a minute, they're out here swaggering all over the court. Steph Curry was being interviewed by ESPN's Kendra Andrews on NBA Today on Wednesday, and Curry when asked about the Warriors' mentality heading into Game 5, said, whoop that trick. That's our game plan. Now, everybody should know at this point, and if you don't, whoop that trick by Al Capone from the movie Hustle and Flow is the Grizzlies' anthem. It plays in all the late moments of the game in FedEx Forum. Like, it gets jumping in there when whoop that trick comes on. And so, I can't imagine everyone was overly happy about that. And so... We know that this game is going, you know, to go back to the Bay Area for game six, this potential closeout game. And it feels like if John Morant were to be able to come back and play in this game, a very great tweet for a very online John Morant would be, tell me when to go. 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 Dum, 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 dum. Jesus Christ had dreads, so shake them. So shake them. That is actually probably the best song for any John Morant highlight. Yes. It is ironic enough that he would absolutely be perfectly at home with Tell Me When to Go on his <laughs> highlight package. But, like, that's, that's like, if they get that lift, and I think it probably should be predicated on that because going on the road, winning an Oracle, all that stuff, like, going to right. take a Herculean effort again and probably going to take that boost. If John Morant comes back, I think they can be the one team to force a game seven. But, okay, let me ask you another silly question. What After what we just saw, isn't it fair to say that the Grizzlies are good enough to beat the Warriors without John Morant? I think the regular season record would suggest that they're good enough to beat the Warriors without John Morant. 
and they just might move on to the next round without John Morant. I I still think it's one of those things that we have to remember in the playoffs just what a seismic lift home home court advantage seems to be for role players on a lot of these teams. Like True. when you get those guys stepping up, it tends to be at home. That's why you could make an argument for the 76ers since they're going to be one of the teams playing at home in this game. Like Milwaukee being on home court in game six matters to me for that reason because you get that kind of extra lift from those guys. So that's the only reason I think you're going to need someone like Ja for when Golden State eventually inevitably gets hot like you mentioned at home and you need that stopper to go down there, get to the rack, get a foul and kind of silence the crowd. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping for I'm hoping for a lot of game 7s. That'll be that'll make uh this upcoming Sunday uh, a lot more interesting. That would absolutely pull it off here, so Again, I'm going just on Memphis, provided Ja comes back. I think the rest of these got a real chance to end in the next two days here. And it's going to be a wild two days, by the way, because in the NHL, you look at the slate coming up tonight, too. You've got four game sixes coming up here. Carolina has a chance to close out. Toronto has a chance to close out. St. Louis and Los Angeles. So lots on the line Thursday night in the sports slate. Very excited to check all that out. But... um. Brandon, I did want to get to this before we talk to Nicole about what's going on in college football because we've heard a lot of voices lend their name to the cries about what's happening, name, image, and likeness, all the changes in the sport. And Deion Sanders probably wasn't one a lot of people had on their bingo board. So the... You know, NFL Hall of Famer, the College Football Hall of Famer, Jackson State football coach, posted a video on Twitter on Wednesday and tagged the NCAA and said, they've got a problem. Y'all got a problem. He said, when you start paying athletes like they're professionals, you get athletes acting like they're professionals. And you don't have staffs large enough and equipped enough to handle a young man with money. Let me go deeper. Handle a young man that's making more money than some of the coaches on Mm. the staff. I suggest you allow college teams to hire more qualified men, qualified, that can handle these young men that's getting this money. Because with NIL, which really isn't NIL because it's no longer name, image, and likeness, it's just pay-per-view right now. That's what they're doing at the big boys, the little boys. We can't compete with that. But anyway, you've got a problem. And I, I, I had to stop myself, Brandon, because within all that, there's nowhere where he's saying we need to not pay these players. He didn't go that far. He didn't no, say no, no, we no. need to not pay these players. That. I don't think he does either. And quite honestly, it would seem wildly hypocritical for a guy that would have made as much as Deion Sanders would have <laughs> if this was going on when he was in college. Right. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm actually thankful that he did say this. I'm, I'm thankful that he finally uh, spoke up in a way that it seems like a lot of the things that Deion Sanders has been coming out saying is rightfully so, to support Jackson State and his team specifically. Uh, he called out all the different uh, – the eight NFL teams that didn't show up to Jackson State's pro day. It's a lot of, a lot of uh, look at us, look at me. I think he's bringing up something that could help all of us. Uh, uh, well, everyone who's in this uh, – in the NCAA who cares about college football, who is being affected by the name, image, and likeness rules that are coming out. Having someone on staff – that can help the players 
understand the money that's coming in, how to maximize it, the coaches, how to understand how to handle and play. Like there needs to be a liaison somewhere in the picture. And I think that's what he's talking about. Well, yeah, that, and I guess uh, honestly, and I hadn't thought about it through that lens because I wasn't quite sure what he was getting at with all of this because he mentioned, you know, us not being able to play with the big boys on that. And we know that, Listen, they had had a massive wide receiver commitment in this last class. Like, they managed to pull off some great things. Everyone was talking about Jackson State recruiting, but to act like they were ever really on the level of getting recruits as, you know, Alabama, the top programs in the country, we all know that wasn't happening. So, again, I don't think that's what he was talking about here, but you're right. It could be, I think, just larger staffs in general. Like, that is one part about. Football at the highest end, as we've seen for so long now, the Alabamas and Georgias of the world hiring analysts, these former head coaches that come over and can't be on the field coaches, but can be around the building and help them in a variety of ways. I always thought that was an instance of not being able to afford it. But as we'll hear from Nicole Arbach, I I think one of the things that's going on with a lot of these meetings right now is that's one of the conversations they're having is, hey, we'll do away with all those weird titles and say, you can hire as many coaches on the staff to help you out as you want to. And for Deion Sanders, who's poured a bunch of himself and a bunch of his money and a bunch of resources into that program, that might be something he's willing to do for the betterment of everyone there because you're right, this should be about how do we take the best care of the players possible. And I, I'm glad to hear him say the obvious and what a lot of people aren't realizing that there's a power dynamics that are getting switched here. This isn't necessarily just about getting the players the money that they deserve because they're the ones out there making the money for the universities. Now, now you, instead of your positioning coach being like your dad, now it's your stepdad that you don't like. Maybe even mom's boyfriend. Damn. Like, he's taking he's taking a couple steps down. Like now, now the head coach is stepdad at best. Cause y'all ain't messing with my money. I can eat. I don't need y'all to eat right now. Like I, I can't the the amount of quite literal hunger that is with a college football player, even at our status when we were there at Notre Dame. And I was trying to get my mom to send me money for Domer dollars so I can get a, a Subway sandwich that I can uh, save in my, in my dorm room. Having power, having money, having influence, that changes a lot. That changes a lot. I said when this first thing came out that, that I was worried about practices because or priorities for the players because they're like, oh, I can't make it to practice on time. I got to shoot this uh, Buick Enclave commercial at the local uh, Honda dealership or whatever the hell. I know I just mixed up a different a lot of makes and models. But I, I thought that the priority would be people will be kids will put priority on the thing that makes the money and not considering the fact that the thing that's actually making the money and that could make them the most money is them showing up to practice on time and being a teammate to their teammates. Uh, or yeah, being a teammate to their team. So this I'm glad that he brought it up because if he's seeing it at Jackson State, Lord knows where everyone else or what's what's being shown other other places, especially in like Oregon, uh, just just big USC, all these places that have new coaches where there's not a real power dynamic or power structure set in place. Like it's 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 probably it's probably Wild Wild West everywhere. Well, I I I think this is one of those things. I think the higher up you go in some of those more structured programs, like. 
that's not going to be an issue for Nick Saban. That's not going to be an issue for Kirby Smart. That's not right. going to be an issue at Ohio State. Like it's not. Going, it's not going to be an issue at Marcus at, with Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame. That's why I didn't mention those guys though too. Well, but like I guess I'm saying is this is something that the farther down on the resources ladder you go. That could be a possibility. I, I still always want to give college kids a little bit more credit, especially guys on the higher end who understand that. But it doesn't. It also goes back to my main point in all of this, which is if the mission in college sports is still supposed to be at all tied to education or these institutions still want to see themselves as molders and makers of young men, I have been screaming this forever. I heard Holly Anderson bring this up talking to Bamani Jones on the right time today as well, and I think it bears echoing all the time. It is your job, if you're going to profess to be all those things, to actually live up to it and to say, we are going to show you how to deal with these situations and time manage the way they always preach to us about with academics. It is going to be our job to put the resources into your hands to make sure you've got a lawyer that can help you read contracts or access to a lawyer to do that. The same way they introduce all of us coming onto college campus to the lawyer that's going to help should you get pulled over for a traffic ticket or in any sort of situation around town. All of these things should, again, I'm fine if everyone wants to lift the sham of amateurism and say, hey, we're here to play football and win football, and that is what the job's going to be, but... We've heard out of the mouths of institutions, coaches, athletic directors for far too long that these are institutions of higher learning and we are teachers and this is what we want to do. And so if you actually want to be about that, act like it and make sure that the focus of all this is getting, I mean, if we're going to go back and I hope this is what Dion was talking about, get more people on the staff who can be in charge of teaching people how to go through these things, teaching guys how to navigate these situations so they don't get caught by bad actors in this early on and ruin their lives going forward. Yeah, and that's going to take a lot of, of transparency from the players, and I don't think that they're going to get that. I mean, it's and there's probably a much smaller roster that that Deion Sanders is dealing with at Jackson State than we're and, dealing with at, at Notre Dame. Yeah, it, it's it's different problems at different levels, right? And that's I think kind of the perfect segue into our conversation with Nicole because college sports have gotten to a place where the gap between the haves, the have-nots, and everything in between has never been felt more. The arms mm. race has put a certain group of teams all at one level, but we've been trying to legislate them all as if they're still one body of teams. So coming up in a second here, Nicole Arbach, senior college football writer at The Athletic, is going to help break down a lot of the changes that we are getting ready to see that may help college sports actually navigate all of this better. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? Well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot in an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code GOJO. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code GOJO only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 
Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, the last few weeks feel like they have been a polar vortex of college football and really NIL-related topics in college football. So if we're going to try and figure all this out and break it down, no one better to talk to than Nicole Arbach, senior writer covering college football and college sports for The Athletic. Nicole, how you doing? Hey, friend. Happy to be here. <laughs> Good to see you. I should also say, too, like one of the nation's premier Bachelor and Bachelorette franchise fans. Absolutely. Um, and you'll appreciate this. I talked to Matt James recently, almost exclusively about Wake Forest football, the bachelor pipeline that they have and football players on the bachelor. So it was actually a great conversation of our two favorite hobbies. I, I do think that they marry together so perfectly for some reason, sports, Twitter, and really college football, Twitter seem to meld well in there, but you're right. Wake Forest has built up a powerhouse here. And I mean, at, at some point, you know, they seem like they're current. Like what Sam Hartman looks like he is next in line for this, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. We just need to see, you know, how far the football career goes first, but it seems like there should be a spot for him waiting. Yes. The bachelor pipeline is strong in wake forest, but uh, Nicole, everything else right now in college football seems like it is anything but strong outside of maybe these booster led collectives and all of the money flowing into these. Cause those seem to be doing pretty well based on the dollar amounts that we've seen reported out there. And I know so much of the tendency around this supporting uh, this reporting uh, overall on this has felt a little bit like it borders on hysteria. There's been a lot of worry. We've heard a lot of people talking about, you know, uh, what's broken and what needs fixing and all this. You've always done a really good job of, of measured reporting on these things and, and kind of getting to the heart of this. So as you've digested the last couple of weeks, as you've talked to people here, what have we heard through the course of all these meetings about the response to the current landscape of name, image, and likeness in college sports, the collectives that have turned this into pay for play and how we walk into this fall? Yeah, I think it's, it's a really good question. And, and just preemptively, uh, let me apologize for my voice. This is not how I sound all the time. Lost my voice after covering all these meetings. I think it was too much networking, if you will, if I needed to <laughs> pinpoint it on something lost my voice after I got back from the, the spring meetings for the Big Ten, Pac-12, and Big 12. Um, but it's a lot of commiserating. That's the word I keep saying, because coaches, athletic directors, conference officials, everyone is just sort of frustrated where we are. And I don't think anyone thinks that they're ever going to go back to the way things were, where you didn't have this dynamic in college sports. But one thing that's really frustrated people is that there haven't been repercussions for doing things that seem to be breaking the rules and collectives are a really interesting byproduct of all of that because there are only two rules that existed when this was formed was no pay for play and no recruiting inducements. So you would think that signing a contract, if you sign the contract before you get to campus, would be that, right? Like if you're saying, yep, uh, $500,000 and the deals are with a collective tied to school X and I'm going to go to school X and then get my $500,000. Like you would think that that would be a pretty open and shut case. Um, so I think it's, it's really bothered a lot of people that everyone's gotten so brazen with this stuff because I, I think you could, people would be more than fine with 
um, you know, the sponsorships, endorsements, Caitlin Clark's the world become a star at a place like Iowa, and then they can do a bunch of different things. That's, that's the spirit of NIL. But I think also, you know, if you had returning players who are already on a roster, already in a market, already in a fan base who got $500,000 from the local collective, it wouldn't be nearly the same issue. I think it's because it's impacting the recruiting piece of the puzzle. So I, I just think people want, wanted and needed the NCAA to basically recommit that these are rules and to explicitly say that boosters are collectives, collectives are boosters. These rules apply to them. I don't know what that means in terms of like who they'll go after, how effective that'll be, how fast that could be, the infractions process. But I, I think that it was just really bothering a lot of people that there, there weren't that many rules and the very few that there were were not being enforced, didn't seem to be enforced, didn't seem to be important. And all the people who wanted to push the boundaries to see how far they could go we're doing whatever you've had. You've had collectives say that they have met with recruits on recruiting visits like that. That's explicitly against like multiple rules. Right. Um, and nothing was happening. And so I think that that's really where it is. Like the NCAA is worried about getting sued, but I think they also are trying to figure out we got to pick our spots to fight for the things that that are foundational to the NCAA. If we want to continue to exist, we're going to have to pick some spots bring on the legal challenges if there are some, but figure out lanes that we think we can, we can make rules in and, and try to keep some of those foundational elements like no pay for play. So that's what they're doing. We'll see how effective it ultimately is. And Nicole, hearing that from you and, and, and talking to you about this on Twitter before, it sounds like part of it is just that, right? Where there's some element of hey, we could just use a little bit of discretion in all of this because there has been some pretty bold overtures in all of this. And because I, I always said it would be hard to prove when you, like you said, the NCAA just got the message from the Supreme Court that, hey, if you go too far, everyone's going to start hitting you with antitrust suits. People are going to start to try and break you up in all of this. But it's also going to be difficult to prove the difference between if there is some discretion, Hey, if you come to this school, this is what a player of your caliber at this school is making. This is what we have seen guys in similar positions to you able to earn once you're on campus here versus like you said, meeting with a recruit and saying, Hey, this is what's going to be sign on the dotted line. You've and, got this and, money. And like, if, if you knew that, if you knew, if I go to Ohio state, I'll get X, Y, and Z probably, you, that's that's the same that that should be enough, right? Like I think there's a lot of administrators that are totally cool with this exact dynamic playing out as long as they're enrolled in their school. Like they just don't want it to be part of the recruiting or the like recruiting during a transfer process, right? It's like it's about the reason that you're doing something, which again is hard to prove. If you interview someone and say, is this why you made your decision? You know, they're 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 gonna say, no, it's the coaching staff, it's you know, close to home. There's there's a million other reasons. But I think they'll possibly be able to look at contact, like boosters who are in contact with the recruits. They might be able to prove that. I think they also might be able to, again, depending on how sloppy people are, prove that like coaches or people in the athletic department are arranging meetings between the boosters and the recruits or deals. Um, again, like we'll see how this plays out. We'll see when this happens and a collective and someone sues, right? To see, there's just, there. We don't know. We don't know if that's legal. We don't know if this is like a reasonable rule for them to implement in this space. 
like that, that stuff, it's just so uncertain. So we're going to, we're not going to know for a while until somebody sues and then a judge rules about this. This does feel like the scene in the office where they're all pointing the finger guns at each other inside the conference yes. room, just waiting for someone to move and do something. But I think a lot of this comes down to control, right? Because there's a loss of control for a lot of people that are used to having all of it in this process. And what you mentioned is really just a measure of how buttoned up your outfit is as a collective, how you go about these things and what the school's impact, because now you've got potential power brewing in the hands of even more power, I should say, these high power donors, these collectives that have come together who can influence that recruiting process. And so, Nicole, if this all ultimately does come down to a fractured feeling of control, then is the next part of this what we've heard rumblings of from people like Notre Dame athletic director Jack Swarbrick, from even Gene Smith, who seems to have talked out of both sides of his mouth at certain junctures of this operation about the notion that maybe at some point, big time college football just decides they're able to govern themselves. Is that something that we're even close to realistically considering? It's interesting because it comes up all the time. Like this, this is something that's like every six months, if, if no one's brought it up about a, a football breakaway, some the next person will. And I, I saw that ACC commissioner Jim Phillips was asked about this at ACC meetings this week. And he had kind of like what you're talking about. It's not talking out of both sides of your mouth, but it's, it's two contradictory ideas. He's on the NCAA's transformation committee. This is a group of people that are rewriting the rules for division one. They're going to figure out some stuff that's going to basically simplify the rule book, um, get rid of some antitrust, potential antitrust issues, but also like put a lot of the power and the rules and decision-making to the conference level. So he's saying, he's out here saying like he believes in what they're doing and that they can make the NCAA, you know, a smaller outfit, but like actually have some power and be more nimble, be able to respond to things like setting it up to continue to exist. Right. And to continue to have a, a place and tie everyone together, have national championships, certify eligibility, like all the, all the basics. But at the same time, he's saying, yeah, it's come up, you know, within the ACC as, you know, could the Power Five or FBS kind of run themselves? And we all know that because football isn't run by the NCAA, it's it's going to be something that people constantly talk about. It, it, it really is because the CFP is where all the money is and they have their own board. It's all the commissioners from the FBS and Jack Swarbrick from Notre Dame. They have presidents that are on, you know, as, as separate the the board that oversees their executive their management committee um but the the thing is like right now they have the ncaa that administers all that stuff the rules the eligibility all of these other things enforcement right like they, they say you want to go after collectives right like who's doing that that's the ncaa but the money from the the college football postseason doesn't go to the NCAA. The CFP money goes, they have their own revenue distribution, goes straight to the, the, the leagues. And I, I think that's you. So you have, you have both sides, right? Of people saying, well, why do, why do we have to be under this umbrella with, you know, the St. Peter's of the world that we don't have the same budget size, but also then you have the basketball schools saying, well, why are we spending all this money to administer football when they're not sharing any of their revenue with us? Right. So there's like a lot of friction in general around this issue. Um, I, I, I think it's very easy to say that they should break away, that they should do these things. But I think the first step would be 
very difficult. Like, what is the first step? What, what do you do tomorrow if you decide that you want to do that? This is a group of commissioners that couldn't come together to agree when to start the football season. They couldn't agree whether to play football in 2020. And they also didn't agree on playoff expansion. And there was a lot of money at stake there. It was like half a billion dollars at stake there, and they didn't come together. So that's always one thing I always think about when, when people float the idea of a breakaway is these are a lot of people that still have different interests, still have different priorities, um, and that you'd have to be asking them to, to do all of this. Like if it, Maybe there's 20 steps, and maybe they eventually get there. But I think like the idea of flipping a switch and just doing it tomorrow is, is a lot to ask, again, from people who couldn't ex- decide to go from four four teams to a 12 team playoff. What are you going to do with the rest of your sports? What about title nine? What about everything else? How are you going to certify eligibility? Have, you know, who's going to do all this administrative stuff? Like to have to start from scratch would, would be difficult. But again, like if, if you said in 10 years, we're there or, you know, 20 steps down the road, we're there. I would not be surprised. I just think that it's an easier concept to discuss than it is to say, okay, what would have to be step one, two, three, four, five. So if that's far off in the distance then, because I think you're right, that that's difficult even for the most well-intentioned. I, because of you, read the league about the formation of the English Premier League and saw all the steps that it took to get to that point where you had the top group of teams break away from this larger body of the rest of the teams in English soccer. It was by no means simple. And those people were legitimate businessmen, not just heads of conferences. And I think sometimes that we forget that these guys aren't that they've got backgrounds in certain areas that helps, but it's not necessarily the same dynamic. So if that's super far off in the distance, is there anything coming down in the rules, whether it is with the transfer portal that's happened at the same time as all of this or anything else that may actually be in place in time to affect the next couple of seasons? Yeah, there, there's a lot. So um, everyone's focused on NIL and collectives. Everyone's focused again about like the future of college sports, this, this, this big entity. But there's going to be some significant changes coming in a lot of different spaces because that transformation transformation committee I mentioned has been meeting weekly and they're, they're, they've got a bunch of concepts. They're not quite proposals yet, but concepts out there that they've been getting feedback from everyone. I've talked to members of the transformation committee about these things. So some of them were kind of already in the pipe being looked at by other people. Um, and some of them are there pushes and they're saying like, we got to worry about getting sued about these things. So we need to put this on the, on the front burner. Um, and, and so there, there's a, there's a number one. So transfer windows, which I think a lot of people support. A lot of coaches have talked about that. The idea that there would be like two blocks at the end of the, the fall semester and one at the end of the spring semester where people could decide if they want to transfer instead of being able to do it all the time. So teammates would know who's on their team, what to expect. You'd also coaches, obviously that would help with roster management, um, and you know, you would kind of avoid, like, if you got benched in the second half of a game and you're really emotional and you're hot and you just like, Oh, I want to enter the portal, right? Like that would, it would give you time to make that decision when, when you're not, you know, super hot about it. Um, so that's one thing that I, I think is coming. Um, there's, there's also a proposal with the coaches and there, there's some other things that football oversight, people are like a bunch of different committees have talked about this one. Um, and I think they think that they can do that which doesn't restrict your ability to transfer, but just kind of designates certain windows, which you see in pro sports. Um, so that's one and you're going to see some changes to the recruiting calendar. There's a lot of weird rules in the recruiting process right now. Yes. Um, and like the quiet period, the dead period, like there's, there's a lot of different terms. There's rules about like who's allowed to go out recruit, who's not. 
um, who, you know, and, and even coach personnel, right? Like who's allowed on the field, who can do on-field instruction, who can't. So, so, so some of these are basically simplifying that, like you're either on or you're off for recruiting. Maybe there's different ways where you just get a total number of days that recruit and you just count them. You're like, all right, we're sending one coach out today, one day, two today. That's two. Like, and just count it that way. Simplify that. Um, they might set a uniform start date for recruiting so that you don't have eighth graders getting offers. Um, some of the other crazy stuff that's happened in that space. We may see, um, unlimited coaching staff sizes. Like right now, wow. you know, there's, there's limits on, on field coaching. And that's why Alabama has what, like 50 analysts, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. The, well, the, the analyst boom in recent years has been certainly led by the tide, but you've seen everyone else fall. So basically that yeah. could be going away soon. And you could just hire them as coaches. Um, wow. so whoever would afford it could do it. Um, so that, I think that's one thing to keep an eye on. That's also something that the the transfer committee uh, or transformation committee is uh, socializing um, and and has some support. Uh, and then, you know, uh, there's a couple big ones that are a little bit further down the road, but scholarships. I think a lot of people are familiar with football. Like one player, like you get a full ride scholarship. In other sports like baseball, it's like 11.7 scholarships, and you divide it. So they're not full scholarships. And Which also I, 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 was, I was just at a, um, I was just at a Notre Dame uh, sports summit and they had Rob Manford there as a speaker. And he talked about my least favorite number is 11.7. It's bizarre that they did this. And, but there's other sports that have these decimal points. Right. And so they divide up that aid for the team. And there's like, is it 35 baseball players are on a roster or something I like think that? So, okay. Right in that range. So why does that exist? Why is that being capped? If this whole thing is supposed to be about providing athletes opportunities to go to college, to pair their education with their athletics, why would you have that cap? It's to save money. It's to, you know, ostensibly have a little bit more of an even playing field so that Vanderbilt doesn't have 35 players on scholarship. Right. Um, but that seems like an antitrust problem. And so I, I think you're going to see that change too, where, you, you could set a roster size limit, like a maximum. So maybe in baseball, maybe you go down to 30, maybe you go down to 25, but then you kick it to the conferences. And then again, let's say with Vanderbilt, let's say the SEC says, okay, uh, we're going to let you have 25 players. And then each of the schools could decide up to 25 scholarships, full scholarships. So that's going to be a really significant change. And people will have to figure out which sports they want to prioritize, which sports they want to compete nationally in. But that's coming. I mean, that that there's no reason that that should have been capped. And that's, I'd imagine, still going to have some pretty significant Title IX implications that go along with that as well, if you're talking about deciding where to allocate your resources sport-wise. Yeah. So, like, this is something that has come up because people want to know if, like, football is going to have this happen, right? Because I think it's easy to think about 11.7, right? But with football, you have 85 scholarships. Could the NCAA set a minimum? And th so this mm. is something that's very early in the con. Like they don't know if, if football and basketball are going to be part of this. It's really early in the concept development, but let's say NCAA sets a minimum and it's 85 scholarships and then individual leagues, the SEC and the big 10 say, we'll set a maximum at 95. So you can have up to 95 scholarships. Well, then you have to offset those with opportunities for female athletes. Right? So like there are definitely going to be title nine issues that come with this. Um, which by the way, also come into play when you talk about a breakaway 
and yeah. the impact on women's sports and all the other sports that are propped up by football. But, uh, you know, all this stuff is interconnected and it's, it's very interesting, but, but part of the reason that you have to do some of this stuff is so that you don't get sued. I mean, it's, it's honestly a little bit crazy to think that they've existed this long and gotten away with this, this long where something like, you know, again, the, the 11.7 seems like something that would immediately, like, you're like, they, they, they still doing that. Like they're still able to do that. That seems like a huge problem. And it is now in, in the legal environment that they are. And so like, people aren't going to like some of these, it's going to be really hard conversations. Uh, like if someone's like, well, we're not going to offer the maximum scholarships in this sport at this school, but they have to do it because it's, it's a lot of legal risk. Yeah. I think all of this, the, the conversation around college athletics right now has been a reminder that for all the people that want to cry super foul and overreact to the current state of things, as we look now and see, even outside of the pay-for-play stuff, players being able to profit off their name, image, and likeness in a bunch of sports, people who have traditionally said the scholarship's enough, like, we have clearly seen there is an appetite and an ability to do both of these in this instance. And so much of what you just described about the history of college sports looks pretty foul when you look back on it through the lens that we have now. And so I am, and I think most people that really care about college athletes are in no steady rush to send them back to any version of that that comes before. So that's a big one too for, you know, that'll be talked about, I'm sure, competitive balance wise, what schools can afford to fund a lot of these programs, the choices that they make in all of this. And so that's going to be super interesting to watch. Um, Nicole, one last thing that I did want to talk to you about as we round this out by getting back to college. Oh, what do you have? Can I make one one more point is um, that group eventually will also figure out like, what is it? What are going to be the requirements to be in division one? Should there be mm. subdivisions? How do you distribute the revenue? What other benefits can you provide athletes directly? Like they, they, they're now, they, they can now make money off those. They're being called Alston payments, right? Of the Supreme Court ruling, yep. education related benefits. Should that number be higher, right? Like all of those things are also in this group's purview, but they're, they're, they're a ways down as, as like infractions process reform. So, so the big picture stuff, um, is going to come as well. And so that's some of, again, what, like when you think about a breakaway or, or what you would achieve by doing that, they may be able to take some steps as they deregulate and decentralize stuff that end up having some similar effects or, or again, kind of keep the, the like resource schools in the same category and, and don't have Alabama and St. Peter's in the same category anymore. So uh, just keep that in mind too, because that, that's going to be a longer process, but I think it's going to be really, really important. And I think that's what this comes down to ultimately is we have seen the stark contrast between well-resourced schools and the ones that are playing by the rules that were much more common for everyone 20, 30 years ago. That divide has never felt bigger than it has right now. And so you're right to treat them the same in a number of these ways seems like it's just hustling backwards at this point. So that is all big picture stuff here. I do want to finish off with this on the football front, because this one to me is potentially very exciting as someone who my alma mater long fabled independent status in football. So I'm a bit of a conference anarchist. I have long maintained as have many smart college football minds that divisions are atrocious, that they accomplish very little anymore. Nicole, does it sound like we may be on the verge of divisions no longer being required or necessary in college football? 
not only are we on the verge of this happening, it is labeled non-controversial legislation. Mm. So it is like cruising through the legislative process here. Um, but yeah, no, th- this is expected to go to the division council next week. So wow. as soon as that is passed, that means that every single conference can decide how they are going to pick the two teams that play in the conference championship game. So I am with you. Put your two best teams in. You do not have to have imbalanced division champs play each other. Like, please, please fix this. I've been saying it for the Big Ten, for the ACC, for the SEC, for everyone. And I really hope, and I I think you'll see a lot of these leagues do this. Some of them might wait until we see like what the expanded CFP format is, but we know the ACC is looking at it. Protect a couple of rivalries. Yep. I can't, I'm getting so excited. I can't talk. (laughs) Protect a couple of rivalries. And then rotate everybody else. So, so that Mike, again, I know you hate conferences, but if you were in a conference, wouldn't you want to play every single team that's in your league? Now you Absolutely. can. I can. Oh, man, we are getting closer and closer. I can feel the underside of college football Twitter rising up and just <laughs> chanting pods, pods, pods as we get closer and closer to Valhalla. I, I worry that pod is going to become something like the transfer portal, which was like never really going to be a thing. It was yeah. just like literally a mechanism, a website you upload your name to. But now it's like a thing. I, I worry that like if we if we make pods so formal, it won't be as fun to chant when we need to chant it. That is true. We need to keep pods like the hipster band that nobody finds out about at this point. We need them to stay in their garage. Yes. Yes. Because otherwise they're just going to they're going to take it away from us. It's going to be like middle school when we got grouped into pods and it like wasn't a cool thing. It was just like the people you were stuck with. I will say through all of this, as much as I will enjoy when whatever version or whatever other word we come up with so that we can keep pod sacred arrives, I will absolutely 100 percent mourn the loss of coastal chaos in the ACC. That will be something I will be sad to let go of. The problem is they should have done this immediately after they completed the loop. Oh, seven, yes. seven different coastal champions in seven years. Like that, that should have been the, the point where you say, whatever, we're not waiting for legislation. We just cannot go on. We cannot go on. This division is retired at that point. Go out on its highest or lowest point, depending on how you take highest. in. Yes. Actually, I, well, it's, it's right in the middle, really. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's not high or low. Like the rest of the like the rest of the ACC Coastal, it is perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Nicole, I cannot thank you enough for giving us some time and helping us break down all of this. It has been, as you have experienced, a very long last couple of weeks. Enjoy some rest, and we will definitely talk to you soon once the bachelor season start up again. Oh, I will be ready. All right, that was awesome. Nicole is, as usual, a fountain of information. And I got to be honest, Brandon, in like the sea of college football reporting that goes on around this subject, she's one of the few I can trust to not get like really sensational with all this stuff and not try and create a bunch of fear and worrying in this. She usually hits it pretty straight. It's so impressive when you get in the midst of real reporting and real reporters. And ah, it's like, I know. oh, th- you're not even like sensationalizing any of this? Like, you're well, just giving us straight up the, these are all just facts? Well, and like, I, you mentioned like real reporting. It is always that thing that happens where people, when they're trying to be critical of something like me or someone else have said, we're like, oh, great journalism. And I'm like, 
buddy, I was a film and television major, all right? (laughs) I am here to entertain, but if you are looking for facts and deep dive reporting, you're going to have to go and get it somewhere else because it ain't from your boy. (laughs) Right, yeah, we are the facilitators. We are the conduits. You, you feel me? We are the conductors of the information, but we just, we just, we just really, we, we here to, we here to put smiles on faces. We're here to crack jokes and talk shit. All right. <laughs> With that in mind, by the way, speaking of cracking jokes, thank you to someone who understood the assignment wholly and truly here. Because remember a couple of days ago, we ended up with that wild situation around the Dolly Parton, um, Mexican pizza, Taco Bell, TikTok musical, which That's again, it. even as I say it back, sounded fake as hell. And so we put out there a Mad Lib for this. We said we found something that we thought worked. It was celebrity is starring in a type of film about restaurants, nationality, food item that will premiere on digital platform later this month. And we asked people to go ahead and throw that in there as you subscribe, rate, (laughs) review, leave us a five-star rating and a review. And shout out to KT Shook, who took that and said, all right, this might not be on TikTok, but it's still viable. His prompt was, Mike Golick Jr. and Brandon Newman are starring in a thriller about Waffle House's new Cuban coffee that will premiere on the gas station pump channel later this month. I I'm sign me up. I need I need to get an agent and they need to close this deal. Bro, I am a man. You know how like we did that thing for a while where movie directors were tweeting out the things like I'm going to win an Oscar or people talked about who they were going to work for. I tweeted this out. I am manifesting this into existence because one Cuban coffee. I love a good cafecito. We went down to the Super Bowl in Miami there and everyone involved in the Levitard crew got us right on that one. It it seemed like we were doing the show with dad and Trey Wingo at the time. And it seemed like Trey Wingo was legitimately like that. I'd, I thought it was white powder inside that cup and not brown Cuban coffee. That's how it, jacked up we all were. Is it really different? Bro, it, I promise you, they just serve it to you in a little like thimble, and it is an absolute speedball. And I, like, I, I drink a ton of coffee every day. I have for a long time now since I started working mornings, and it is just completely built different. How much? How, how much so, if you drink a lot of coffee, you need to put down some water. Every, obviously, people know that people who drink oh, yeah. coffee you know that with the with the Cubacito, what's it Cafecito. called? Cafecito, 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 Cafecito. What are you doing? You just you putting like a you doing like one of those uh, liquid IVs in a, in a thimble and just in the pound in that, bro. It's it is a it's a shot. You literally just rip a shot of this stuff. And I mean, we were doing like three or four during the show. It was ill advised. Yeah. If you were doing that, especially for a bunch of us that were like gringos going down there doing it for our first time. So <laughs> it was uh, that being said, between that and then the gas station pump channel between that and the channel that runs inside the Uber, that gets a lot of views, man. There's a lot yeah. of eyes on that. So I'm not necessarily mad that that's our platform. I mean, if you're in New York City, they have some quality programming in those taxis. Like, that's honestly, just some great Three to five to fifteen minute rips of some of some information that's really not that dated. I'll, I'll pump the gas. To shout out to Speedway. I was pumping gas at Speedway today and caught myself looking at the the gas station television. And they know exactly when to push that push play. Well, and I feel they wait, like they wait till the gas is pouring in to to show to to give you your entertainment. Well, and I feel like a it would be a great hook to have it be a musical. 
You grab oh, people in, yeah. it sounds a little different than just the normal white yeah. guy voice that's getting ready to lecture about, hey, now while you're at the pump, like, no, we're going to get you right in with a song. So, again, shout out to KT Shook, five stars, great idea here, understood the prompt. We appreciate you. As a reminder, everyone, Absolutely. go and leave those reviews. We appreciate it. It all helps us go and win our war against the algorithm, which is what we're looking to do <laughs> at all times. But, Brandon, now it is time to get to this, that, and the third to finish this off. And we got to start with some aviation news here. CNN Travel tweeted out this article today that a passenger with no flying experience landed a plane at a Florida airport after the pilot became incapacitated. <laughs> the, guy, the quote to start the article was, I have no idea how to fly this plane. <laughs> like, just like talk... Talk about a scene set to start this. Right, that's the that's the that's the uh, the beginning of every movie jacket trailer. It was like, I don't know how t- to fly this thing. <laughs> Can some, does anybody know how to fly this plane? But they okay. did exactly what you'd expect in every movie. So the pilot on a single engine plane had quote gone incoherent, and a passenger started telling air traffic controllers um, that this was a quote serious situation. The air traffic controller washed over, walked into the room. They heard that the pilot was incapacitated and basically learned the passenger had never controlled the plane. They said he was remarkably calm. He said, I don't know how to fly. I don't know how to stop this thing if we get to the runway. And the guy at the air traffic control wasn't familiar with this model of plane. So he's looking up in a book what this mo- like what it looks like in the cockpit for this airplane he's guiding this person along and ended up getting him to the biggest airport that they could find down uh it was uh Palm Beach International so they got him to that airport cuz it had a big runway and they said runway they said the landing was a 10 out of 10 they said the guy just Stop. had his adrenaline coursing managed to pull it off the people in the control tower almost started crying it was so tense like I don't know whoever that was, and I understand people say you can almost fly the plane yourself now, but imagine just walking in. We talked about with Spencer Hall just getting dropped into a Formula One car and trying to operate that thing at the speeds they go. Now imagine doing that on a bleeping plane. That was Darren Harrison who was able to, to land that plane led by Robert Morgan, the air traffic controller. Mike, how did the pilot get incapacitated they still they said it they said it it was appears to be some sort of medical issue here i didn't see any follow-up on that though a medical issue meaning he took he took too much of whatever he took quite possibly i don't want to i don't okay let me no you got you got to say allegedly you got to say allegedly allegedly. you got to say allegedly game i want to play the blame game yeah you don't want to you don't want to play the false accusation game either because that's how lawsuits happen so tread lightly we are new we are new podcast we want to stay here (laughs) true that true that but i have way too much faith in that this will happen nine times out of ten every time i'm on an airplane everyone i pass when I'm going to my seat, I think if the pilot goes down, this person, that person, this person could probably get be told how to land this plane without knowing much. And maybe because I've watched too much TV in my life. Yep. But instances like this that happen may, just solidifies to me that I think we're all watching too much TV. And we all just know in the moment we can handle it. I, 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 have, I hear this story and I don't even get emotion. I'm like, uh, duh. Duh, somebody else landed the plane. 
yeah, you know, you and I are cut from a very different cloth on this. Really? Because don't, well, don't get it twisted. Every time I approach an airplane or really any setting, I'm doing like the risk assessment where I'm like, all right, if this goes wrong, what am I going to do? And I think all of us have that little bit of like, you know, I mean, like, I mean, obviously, like famously, Mark Wahlberg said that dumbass stuff about how he felt like he would have stopped 9-11 if he was on that plane or something <laughs> like it something yes. akin to that that was just awful but yes. like we're always doing the risk assessment of like all right what if something happens to the plane what the truth is none of us are probably going to do anything if that plane's going down it's going down and i am probably just going to like do you what the think? little card and do what the little card in front of me says and tuck my head down there so it's just over quicker when i hit like that's really I, yeah. i'm sitting there i'm i'm sitting there in the back like don't get me wrong wonder- i'm gonna try to survive like but I'm not at the same time betting on being able to get us out of some like incredibly wild situation. I'm just praying we have someone who's ex-military on the plane who's flown planes. Here's the thing. I, my thing is I, I think I, I would only not only will I step up and become a hero if it doesn't work. I still feel like I could survive. Uh, famously, uh, shout out to Joy Taylor. Thank you for uh, coming on the podcast uh, yesterday. We had Snacks, Snacks Harrison on the podcast, Joy and I, back in the day, maybe I'm crazy, and I didn't know anyone else had this opinion until I heard it from him. I feel like I could time up jumping out of a, a falling airplane and, and do a duck and roll. I just, I don't know if I'm feeling like I'm durable. I don't know if God has gassed me up mentally. I, I don't know if I, I think I have. I a think you've purpose. gassed you up mentally. Don't no, blame God for that. I'm not blaming God. This is what He put in me, or she. You know, whatever. Uh, but <laughs> this is I honestly feel like I'm not going out like that. And I don't think anyone else is if I'm if I can help it. So, yeah, I, th- in my mind, I'm thinking somebody else is going to be a hero here. If that person doesn't step up, then I'll take my headphones off and I'll go <laughs> land this plane. If not that, I'll jump out and probably, you know, break a leg trying to land. And, but, you know, my cell phone's still going to work. I'll be able to call for help. Like I am a survivor. I'm just happy to know that you'd be wearing headphones on the plane and not talking to people so we can still peacefully coexist on this podcast. Brandon, let's go to that before you profess to any more her- like heroic nature because we need to get your opinion on something that we're both actually qualified to talk about. Let's do it. Uh, Grant Paulson of mm. MLB Network and MLB Network Radio, works at The Athletic, play-by-play in the XFL, tweeted earlier today, I just found out Sam Howell, the former quarterback from North Carolina, now a player for the Washington, um, what are they, the Commanders now? That's right. The Commanders, yes, as of now. He said, I just found out Sam Howell has never eaten steak or tried a burger. This could be all we talk about for the rest of the day. He's not vegetarian. He (laughs) loves chicken. He just refuses to try steak or a burger. And Brandon... I almost did the thing where I flipped the angry switch and was like, how is this possible? What sort of person would just have this oversight? And then I realized I'm the exact same way with apple pie. Like it is not something the more I think about it, I don't think I've ever tried it and I don't really have any desire to try it. There's nothing about the equation that looks good to me. And at this point, I'm 32 years old. I really don't know if I feel like remedying at that point. And I have gotten reinforcement from enough people. Shout out to Nick Weary, one of the top ranked competitive eaters in the world on the men's side who said apple pie is a largely overrated pie. Okay, but have you, you never had a McDonald's apple pie either? Nope. Why would I that, have the McDonald's apple pie? They got like the chocolate cream pies at McDonald's and Burger King. I'm good. Strawberry cream pie is the way to go at McDonald's if you're in season. But 
I don't know how I feel about that, Mike. Like I, I do think apple pies are largely overrated. If anyone is sitting at a, if, if we have a family dinner and somebody's putting in an apple pie for dessert, I'm claiming that I'm not eating sweets that month because I'm not, I don't want that. I, even if it's a la mode, I don't want it because it's not that great. And I'm, I'm here with you, but that is not the same. Apple pie is not the same as not having steak or burger. There's, there's things that people omit because they just want to be have this thing over everyone else. Shout out to Dane Chris, who, quote unquote, has never chewed gum in his life. Yeah, our, our, our former, so one of my former college roommates, our teammate who was a quarterback at Notre Dame, is our same age and claims that he has never chewed a piece of gum in his entire life. And I think right. he's full of it. I, I, so that's the thing. When he told me freshman year, I was like, oh my gosh, Dane Chris is would have – like, this is something special about him. Another special great thing about Dane. And then when I got senior year, I was like, you know what? I saw him, like, eat a Mentos too hard. And I was like, he looked like he going to chew some gum before. I was like, I- I'm going to call him bullshit. <laughs> his, muscles bullshit are, his muscles have done this before. <laughs> there's some, there's some training behind that. I see, your, I see you <laughs> masticating. He definitely has some zebra gum back in the day. So, anyways, like, we all have this thing. It's like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But never having steak or a burger and not being vegan. Listen, if you guys hear me, I'm a little bit more nasally than, than I usually am. That's because I had a burger and shake uh, and, and, and a concrete mixer from Culver's Listen, for dinner I'm not, tonight. I'm not saying they're not good and that we shouldn't be eating those things. I'm just saying I have you know, I'm let saying my that. I'm saying I let my freak flag fly a little bit too when it comes to some stuff like this on the pie front. So but I that's... can't sit here and just rake this guy over the coals for not, not having another thing that I like. That's not a freak flag fly thing, though. Like, there's there's uh, obviously it's a, a trope and it's incorrect, but there's this, like, thing with steak and burgers and meat, beef and Bro, eating say- cows that's tied to masculinity. And for a, a quarterback of Sam Howe's nature, you know what I mean? Like, Brandon, it is very surprising that, that he's never had a steak. They literally have the statement in the this country, it's as American as baseball and apple pie. Like, I am literally rebuking the thing that has been tied to everyone's notion of America since I was a little kid. So I can't claim to be better than Sam Howell on this one. It's like Apple stuff. pie is not a steak and a burger. You have to hear me when I'm telling you this, though. Like it's not I understand the same. that, but it's Americana. Like I am rejecting something that most people would tell you is deeply American, even if I think that's dated software. Oh, it, as dated as the software may be, and it, it may needs need an update. The iOS. It's not only if American Pie is American Pie. If Apple <laughs> Pie is American, then steak and burgers is is male. It's it's masculine. I think it's it's so tied into like gender, in my opinion, well, which see, is I, bigger than I, than America. I think I think that is definitely dated. Ladies love steak too. I'm. Not, I mean, yes, yes. Everybody loves steak. Everybody loves a little meat. Everybody loves a little chew. Everybody loves a little raw. Everybody loves medium rare, but not Sam Howe, and that's why it's weird. I mean, listen again. I I was surprised. My initial reaction was to go. Well, yeah, like I, I have a weird thing too, so I can't rush to judgment on you, Sam. I hope that he at some point finds the steak that might change his mind or the burger that might change his mind because I think they're great things and I think he'd genuinely enjoy them if he's already doing chicken and this isn't born from some like moral obligation or religious feeling that, 
you know, would draw someone away from these things. If it's just arbitrary, then man, I hope someone like accidentally sneaks some in there on you and you get your eyes open for a second. Yeah, not not they gonna come. They coming for his ass. The 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 big big stakes big stakes coming from Sam Howell. They gonna by the way by the way uh, top five pies: pumpkin, chocolate cream, lemon chiffon, key lime, banana cream. You're not allowed to put lemon chiffon in there. Yes, I am. Because you can't spell it and you can't draw it. Um, I can spell it. It's L E M O N C H I F F O N. I see you reading from a. I saw you reading from a document. No, you didn't. I saw your life. How did you see that? Your face illuminated as you spelled it verbatim, and you couldn't draw it. So I'm not taking that. Couldn't draw it. It's a pie. It's a circle. Circle. You, I'm talking about yellow a colored I'm filling. About a slice. I'm talking about a slice. You can't it's, draw a slice of that pie. It's a, and, uh, and oh, a so, top five so, pies. So a slice. Top five pies. The slice is basically pies. a triangle that is yellow because there's lemon inside there, and then there's a pie crust. Congratulations, Brandon. Lemon chiffon pie. Man, you have asked me to do some advanced level calculus over here, trying to figure out what a piece of pie looks like. Okay, pumpkin is not in the top five. The only thing in the top five is sweet potato, key lime, French silk, banana cream, and I'll probably and a strawberry baby pie from from uh from Big Boys. Don't you know one's just just crusting all and all glazed strawberries. That's that's it. That's I've, that's that's top five pies. I I understand this one tends to be um as I, I think our friends uh, Jalen and Jacoby would say cultural. I think pumpkin pie and sweet potato pie taste basically the same. I treat them as the same thing. I don't really think there's a large difference between the two. And I, I think people that. people try and make it seem like there's like because I've actually had both of those. Like I've gone down both those roads, and I truly think we are like this is like when Staten Island and Long Island talk bleep about each other. It's like you guys probably have more in common than you do with the rest of the country. So, right. I well I, I hear what you're saying, and I understand that you. Mike, I don't know if people really know this about uh, my friend Mike Gold Jr., your favorite podcast to listen to, uh, host, co-host, host, uh, uh, Mike Gold Jr., uh, Gojo. He, he eats very fast. Uh, yeah, hell yeah. He eats, eats very fast to the point where I'm not sure you understand the difference in what you're passing up through your palate because pumpkin pie made with pumpkins and sweet potato pie made with sweet potatoes don't taste the same. They look the same, but they do not taste the same. Brandon, if there is one thing on this earth I have spent the requisite time with in order to master, it's not sports media. It sure as shit wasn't football. It is dessert. Like, I am sorry. I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. And I'll stand toe-to-toe with anybody on earth. Like, there were, like, Bamani Jones, who is one of the smartest people on earth and one of the most fearsome debaters on earth. I, there are basically two things I believe I have ever been equipped to debate him on. One was we had a fierce debate on peeing in the shower and its merits. And two would be dessert. That would be oh the only God. thing that I would walk into the party with armed with more knowledge than Bamani Jones, who is one of the premier debaters of our time. That's I, where we're at. This, this peeing in the shower, I don't even... We can't right now. We, we can't. We, we got to move on. We can't right now. We will eventually. I promise we'll get here. But oh, in the meantime, to finish this off, while we're doing lists, let's get to the third. Because I am not 
ashamed to go and just steal content that I did in other places. Shout out to the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny, was a guest on the podcast with Mina this week. We talked about a lot of great stuff, including which um, stadiums or which facilities we would haunt, what's next for Baker Mayfield, and our top five TV characters of all time. Uh, I will give credit and respect to Mina Kimes, her list, Lisa Simpson, Coach Taylor, Selena Meyer, Kenny Powers, and Arya Stark. Absolute heaters. That's a, That's a top to bottom pretty baller list. Great list. I went a little different route. I went Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones, Gordon Clark from Halt and Catch Fire, Stevie Budd from Schitt's Creek, Ron Swanson from Parts and Rec, and this was the one that probably came off the board that would have shocked a lot of other people, Burt Hummel from Glee. What do you got, Brandon? Wow. Yeah, Burt Hummel was a... I'm telling you, as far as television dads go, and obviously like the on-screen bond of a father and his son who's dealing with his sexuality in high school, Kurt Hummel on that show was gay on Glee. There was a lot of the storyline about... The dad, Bert Hummel is played by Mike O'Malley, who everyone knows as the Rick and is associated yes. with like, you know, back then the hyper-masculine sports guy and the way well, that that's... the the care that he showed in this role and the on-screen love between father and son that was consistently a part of at least the first three seasons when that show was at its best, a triumph. I just like to see that one of your favorite shows made the cut with Glee. Because I know that was important to you at a certain point in time. So I, 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 I'm. It's important I to me now. It. I'll fight to the death for season one of that show. It's one of the best seasons of TV I've ever seen. Okay, here, here's here's my list. Uh, we'll we'll go five five to one. Creed from The Office. Oh just, God, yes. Just top five. Top Easy. five. Says nothing and everything all at once. Uh, then I'm then I'm gonna go with the uh, Cleveland Brown. From the Cleveland show. I mean, you could say from Family Guy, but it was when he got his own show. He was ready for it. I, I don't know if it was the writing. I don't, it was Cleveland show was on point, and and Cleveland Brown was was is a, is a great character. <clears throat> Next, I'm gonna go with Tina Belcher from Bob's Burgers. Yeah, this is the one. I've never seen an episode of that. You tell me all about it. I'll it's, take your word. Everyone seems to love it. Shout out. I think there's a movie coming out for Bob's Burgers now. Yes, there is. There is. Tina is, uh, that's her indecision. So I feel Tina, uh, loves horses and journaling and butts big. So me and her see eye to eye with our, our love of butts. Uh, Steve Urkel is next on my list. Huh? Very, very, very influential, very important. Uh, I probably would have put Stefan Urkel as my actual number one who Steven uh, becomes at when he goes into the transformation chamber. But Family Matters, one of the best shows for me growing up. I love, I love every second of it. And my number one, uh, Kevin James and all his glory, Doug Heffernan. Doug Heffernan and Brandon Newman are essentially the same person. Outside of uh, if you want a UPS drive, a, a truck driver, if a truck driving was podcasting, then you know we'd be on the same thing. And my Deacon Palmer is Michael Jr., my eyes are getting weary. My back is, <laughs> My getting, back is tired. getting tight. It's tight. I'm sitting here in traffic on the Queensboro Queensboro Bridge tonight. And I don't, I don't care because all I want to do is cash my cash check, check and drive right home, home to you. Because, baby, all my life I will be driving home to you. Beep, 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 beep,
on the U.S. All American Army, like little. Remember the uh, questionnaire that we had to oh, turn yeah. in. I put King of Queens, my favorite TV show, and I said my favorite movie was Lion King. Dear God, they thought a five-year-old was playing in that game. Well, five-year-old, great taste on King of Queens, because you're right. I remember the one day they did the one's got to go quad, or of or someone brought up a one of those quads that usually is a one's got to go, and yes. said all of these white people aren't funny, and the entire internet came to the defense of Kevin James in one massive overthrow, and it was as proud as I've ever been of us of a collective internet community, because man, <laughs> King of Queens, I came home from school every day through high school, and saw my parents watching king of queens reruns and just plopped down right next to him and got ready to go it was Bro. incredible between that and everybody loves raymond that was a stacked lineup of afternoon reruns i i was in love with all of them both shows produced by worldwide pants which is a uh dave letterman's production company but and they also you there's some there's some crossover episodes i quote king of queens episodes like i can quote get richard i trying like i just i just know it I know the situations. I know what's going on. I love the syndication that uh, King of Queens has gone through. I don't know if you remember in college. I used to I used to travel to college with box sets of King of Queens just in case there was there was no like cable around. Like it was that important to me. I think I was I fell in love with really really mean girls at one point in time in my life because of Carrie. Like I don't know. I just. <laughs> Just, just number everything. number one King of Queen fan, Brandon Newman, hitting us with the good stuff here. Oh, my God. All right. If any of those lists registered with you, hit us in the reviews on Apple Podcasts, your yes. top five TV characters of all time. Again, shamelessly ripping this off from the Mina Kime Show, which is a podcast you should absolutely go download as well while you're there. But feel Absolutely. free to hit us there. We'll read your list on here if it is in that comment section and if you have left us a five-star rating on this one. Thank you, as always, for making it to this point. Keep liking, keep subscribing, keep doing all the downloading, rating, and reviewing, and we'll be back and talk to you tomorrow. Bye.